We can survive. Are we going to be okay? You are without a visual aid? I did work hard on it, but uh, I think my battery just caved, actually. Uh, all right, well, there you go. Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And uh, if you are visiting with us, we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we are finally in the home stretch. We've got this week and next week, and we are done with the book of Hebrews, which is pretty cool um, that we survived it, that I survived it, that you stayed with me as I survived it. So here we are in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 15, and this is God's word. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience uh, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I might be restored to you the sooner. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ever took a preaching class, uh, the, one of the things that you would learn, or if you've ever engaged in the, in the, the practice of preaching, you would, you would quickly realize that two of the hardest aspects of it are um, application and illustration. And you would think that it would be the content, right? Well, con- it is con- the content is hard. It is, it is, it is uh, muscling through some pretty deep stuff and trying to put it in a way that's accessible to uh, uh, a listening room and all that. But uh, illustration and application are always the hardest thing. They're har- the hardest thing for preachers, um, and uh, they're the hardest thing to kind of, uh, to kind of get hap- happening. Um, and I would say that the finesse that comes with illustrating and applying is really nothing more than loving a room well. Uh, when you love a room well, you're talking to people rather than at a room. And you've been in a teaching situation, I'm sure, where you felt that you were talked at. Uh, think of a work thing or, or, or even a church that you might have gone to or whatever. But being spoken to, you feel like you're being, you feel like somebody's loving you. And I think that's part of applying and illustrating. And one of the reasons that the world craves relevance and, and uh, authenticity and all that is that basically they're saying your heart is crying out for, for someone to show you why this matters to your life in real time. He wants someone to show you why you can be hopeful in this life. He wants someone to show you how content connects with experience. And uh, I say all that because, uh, as I said last time, the scripture writer is in the, is in the closing, uh, closing sentences of his book. And uh, he's taken a, a, a long journey uh, through um, uh, lots of deep... Um, uh, steeping of the Jewish reader's mind, um, talking about Old Testament preparations for the Savior who would come in the New Testament, uh, and, and so on. But finally, he's here at the end, and I told Tammy in the car yesterday, I said, man, it's just so applicable. He is applying what he's saying, all this deep stuff that he's, that he's talked about. So, I guess I don't need the pointer. Um, our main idea for today, if you walked away going, hey, what did that guy talk about uh, at, at your church today? I wish he would say this. 
The reason for living is the sacrificial praising of God. And uh, I'm not just making that up. I'm getting it right from the passage. I think you can see through him that uh, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the reason for living, ladies and gentlemen, the sacrificial praising of God. So let's go to our first point. I've got four of them. Let's go to our first point, which is this. All access to God is through Jesus. Uh, Look at the passage, if you would, verse 15, uh, just the first couple of words. It says, through him. Very important that we pause there and and decide who the him is. Well, if you look back at verse 12, it says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate. In verse 13, it says, therefore, let us go out to him, still talking about Jesus. Verse 15, still talking about Jesus, through Jesus. Um, Now, it's been said that that right there is the apex of the entire book. Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Uh, not only is the book of Hebrews deeply grounded in the Old Testament, and of course it supports other doctrinal writings of the New Testament, other books like, you know, b- books that articulate the gospel like Romans and Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians, books that, that spell out the gospel, that define it, articulate it. Um, Hebrews supports that. It supports it with, with lots of Old Testament uh, uh, information that would appeal to the Jewish hearer and so on. Um, but one of the wonderful things about the, the book, even though it's so dense, and it's, it's a, honestly a frightening book to have to teach through, it's just really, you're, you're just in a lot of deep territory. But one of the wonderful things about it is through it, there's this warm and interpersonal trajectory throughout the whole book. It points somewhere, and the place it's pointing is here that we are to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And that, that speaks to this God who is relational, this God who can be known, this God we can fellowship with, we can enjoy, um, and uh, we, we can even please the God of the universe. And we do it as a body of Christians, and we also do it individually. A body of Christians and individually, we can commune with this living God. It's the apex, uh, it is said, of this whole book of Hebrews. Now, um, if you remember, uh, in chapter 12, verse 2, it says that uh, we're to be looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, that means he is, uh, you might remember author, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, he's the trail cutter. Uh, he's the one who, who blazes a trail. He's the one who goes before us. He's the one who is now holding kingly session at the right hand of God. Um, uh, in session, a real king over a real kingdom with subjects. He's the one who makes us okay in God's holy courtroom, this Jesus who has gone before us, the trailblazer. He's the one who continues his ministry through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, to our text, it says, um, through him then. Now, you remember last week, we looked at uh, verses 8 and 9. Look at uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. The gospel is the gospel. It remains the same. There's no new system. There's no new lens that needs to be applied to it. The gospel is the gospel. Nothing need be added to it. Um, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, the only thing that God will be satisfied with is what Jesus has accomplished. The requirement for creatures, you and me, is that we owe God something. He made us, and we owe him, 
adherence to his law. We owe him perfect obedience, do we not? I made you. I have sovereign right and sway uh, to say how you are to live. Live this way. We didn't. Uh, and in fact, we've been born in sin. That's a big problem. Um, the only thing that uh, will allow us into God's presence is the righteousness of God that's been supplied for us in Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the only one who makes it okay. All right, so application for your life. Um, everybody asks vital questions, ultimate kinds of questions. You know, questions like, um, what is the source of life? How did life originate? I mean, even, even the people who ponder this mathematically and scientifically, um, there's, still no, there's still no answer for the source. Is it a backward, hologram, blowout thing? Or is all these kinds of wild uh, theories. But where, what's the source of life? How did it originate? How did everything start? That's an ultimate question. People ask those questions. Or you ask, what, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of my life? Um, what happens after this life? Is, is there something after this life? Those are vital questions that everybody has rumbling around their hearts. And uh, I'm, I must say that I find it um, respectful, respect-worthy, I should say. I, I find it respect-worthy and heartbreaking. When I, you, you know, you read, you read tech type people and scientific type people. And I, I, you've heard me say this before. It's really, a, it's really a kind of a profane term, but they will refer to themselves as meat bags. Uh, the human body as a meat bag. Raise your hand if you ever heard that. You've seen that written. Okay. Every one of them is a nerd. Look at them. Um, uh, but, but at least I respect the fact that you have people who are taking a line of thought logically to its conclusion. I mean, if there is no creator who has sovereign right over what he's made and has no um, absolute moral standard that, that is set beyond creation, if you don't have that, then what else are we? But some little bug on the, you know, every once in a while my wife will go, ah, there's a giant bug in here. Uh, it's, you know, like the size of a brontosaurus, you know, and you run down the hall and you're like, where is it, honey? Where is it there? And you're like, there where? Oh, that? And I take my thumb. I mean, it's like a pinhead. You know, I take my thumb and I just go, I'm like, it is no more. I mean, it's, it's liquefied. It's, it's become nothing, you know? Um, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, um, if that's what life is, that we're just these little bugs on a windowsill and all of a sudden we're smeared out into oblivion, then why not call yourself a meat bag? Oh, and by the way, why care about a shooting or making the world a better place? Just because it seems like a nice thing to do? It sure seems like there's a standard outside of us. And so, suppose for a minute, ladies and gentlemen, that there is a creative being who is beyond us, who has built into men and women a, uh, a moral standard like the creator, who, uh, who has built into men and women a desire to create and work and propagate and communicate, relate to one another and help each other, uh, made in the image of the creator. What if, there's, what if, there's, what if that's real? Um, and what if um, this creator has the right to say how his creatures are supposed to respond? You know, you look around the world and there are so many sincere uh, well-meaning religions, mysterious, complex world religions and all that. But the Christian gospel is very simple. And it's, by the way, always 
polarizing. The Christian gospel is always polarizing because it says, through Jesus, there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. 1 Timothy 2.5. That's your application. How am I supposed to approach God? There's only one way, through Jesus. Second point, your lips show your heart. Second point, your lips show your heart. Verse 15, let's look at all of it. Through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, we learn a couple things from this idea. Um, Number one is the mouth, uh, per the scriptures, is a direct barometer as to the state of the heart. Um, You know, when somebody uh, slights you and they say something really sharp and they they really hurt you and your feelings are hurt and they come back later and they say, I didn't mean that. You know what that is? A lie on top of hurting you. Uh, They did mean it. You do mean those things because your heart is a direct reflection. Uh, your lips are a direct, re- direct reflection of what is rumbling around in your heart. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty four. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, flip, if you would, to the left to the book of Romans chapter 3. Let's look at Romans 3, uh, verses 11 and 12. And this is, a, this is quite a power dis- powerful description. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing here. And uh, he's uh, saying, uh, what then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. We've already been charged uh, both that Jews and Greeks are under sin. And he's talking about humanity, Jews and Greeks, everyone being under sin. And here's, here's, here's what he says about it. Here's his description. He says in, at, at the middle of verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Now, that is a big statement. It's layer upon layer of accusation. It's saying, human beings, there's not one who's ever lived the good life that's going to have God go, well, I got to hand it to you. Come on in. Not one who's ever lived. Not one has, has seeked God. Now, if only there was some description, like, like what does that look like fleshed out in a human life? If that's, the, if that's the charge, then what does it look like? Well, let's read on. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That's the first thing that's said as a summary to the fallen condition of human beings. Is that not something? The mouth. What comes off your lips is a direct reflection of the state of your heart, the way we communicate. Um, The sinner's toxic speech, uh, per the mind of the Apostle Paul, is the summary um, uh, of what's rumbling around your heart. Now, you don't have to turn, but let me just jump over here real quick. Um, Yeah, so in Isaiah 6, Isaiah has a vision. And uh, it's this otherworldly vision, okay? It's a vision of God in, in, in heaven, uh, in, his, in his glory. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord. He sees the Lord in this vision that God gives him. 
high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, these angelic beings. Each of them had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. I mean, that's an otherworldly picture, isn't it? I mean, where do you think Lord of the Rings and those show, uh, things get all their cool stuff from this kind of stuff, this otherly, otherworldly image? And then this. One of those angelic beings calls to the other and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And of course, you've heard that, uh, you know, God says of himself through his spirit and his word, God is love. That's a self-description. God is love. Um, God describes himself all over the scriptures, that he's got all the power and all the knowledge, that he's long-suffering, that he's steadfast in his love, um, all these descriptions of God's attributes. But none are listed this way three times. Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord, all God, Lord God Almighty. I mean, that is the description of his utter moral purity. And so Isaiah has this vision of God's utter moral purity. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. The house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I mean, that, that's his summary of the fallenness of his soul and the fallenness of the, the world around him. He sees God in his consummate moral perfection, and he says, oh, my lips, my lips, my lips. That's a lesson to our souls, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what a contrast then to the state of the redeemed. I mean, the state of the redeemed, look at this. Through him, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. I mean, what a happy scene in contrast to being undone and feeling the, the, the point of sin right on the tongue. All right, the second thing that we can, we can glean from this is that, um, you know, um, Offering praise to God, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, this idea of acknowledging his name. That's not some kind of little incantation. I acknowledge thy name. Uh, in fact, um, it, you know, it's, it's not a passcode. It's not a fancy answer. Um, it is throwing oneself under the full authority of uh, Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life. That's what it is to acknowledge his name. It's not just to say a sentence. It's to say, you're the king. I'm the subject, I throw myself at your feet and say, what is thy will, O Christ? That's what that means to acknowledge his name. Um, for instance, in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, therefore, I want you to understand that, no one, uh, that no, speaking, no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. All right, you get that? No one, no, no, um, Christian could ever say Jesus is accursed, and no one who's not a Christian could ever say Jesus is Lord. Now, friends, it's not talking about uttering syllables. But by the way, I'm a Bible teacher, and I just said Jesus is accursed because I'm reading it. I was able to say those, and I guarantee the Holy Spirit is, is, is dwelling in me, right? It's not, it's not saying the syllables. It is a matter of um, who is the boss 
It's a matter of acknowledging Christ's sovereign lordship with all its ruling rights. I said... (laughs) 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 All right. (laughs) Application for your life. Application for your life. (laughs) Per the Bible... Uh, The clearest way, one of the clearest ways to determine the spiritual health of a person or lack thereof is the tongue. What is said and how it is said. Okay, the content, but also the manner. Um, Gossip equals sin. By the way, there's a fine line between pastoral information and gossip. So be mindful of that as Christians. We're all ministers of the gospel. Fine line between pastoral information and gossip. Gossip is sin. But you know what else? A caustic tone is also sin. Both are direct reflections of the state of the heart. Untruths are sin. A sharp delivery is also sin. And you know, for reference, let me just flip here real quick. This is just a, always, a, always a good guide and always a good thing to turn to. Let me just read it to you. Uh, this is in Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Um, no corrupting talk but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's all a part of the heart and its expression. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Um, one last thing for some clarity um, on your Savior. This is in 1 Peter 2.22. I just found this to be such a wonderful point to close this on. He, that would be Jesus, committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. What a, what a contrast. What a Savior who provides what we need. Um, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But the Savior, no deceit was found in his mouth. All right, third or fourth point. Third point, third point. We're in, we're in the home stretch, don't worry. Uh, third point, share what you have because it's not yours. Uh, look at verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. That's another barometer of heart health, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Your attitude toward your possessions uh, is a direct reflection of the allegiances of your heart Um, and and also where you find your personal value. A lot of people find their personal value in things or appearance or um, gifts that they might have, intelligence or uh, being articulate or being mathematical or or whatever. Um, A lot of people find their value in that, but that's not where you get your value. Um, a lot of people find their identity in their possessions, but that's not where you get your identity. Um, you, you know, um, let me flip here real quick. Um, this is in Deuteronomy 15. Listen to this. Um, I'm just going to speed through there. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. Uh, you know, forgive debt. Um, there will be no poor among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. There will be no poor among you. 
Now, that's a very exclusive thing, sent. You know, Jesus later says the poor will always be with you. But, but when God is giving um, the, the Israelites the promised land, the land of promise after delivering them from captivity, he says, there shall be no poor among you. You know why that's such an important thing for God, that there will be no poor among you? You know why? Because the Israelites were in slavery, Egyptian captivity. What did they own? Zero. They owned nothing. God delivered them from captivity. He brings them out of it into the land of promise. Where did they get everything from God? Everything. So he's like, look, look, look. I don't want some kind of crazy, wacky hierarchy. I don't want any poor among you. You know why? Because you were all the same. And I gave you 100%. Well, ladies and gentlemen, what is the difference? Is there? Weren't you delivered from captivity? Weren't you set free? Didn't you have nothing? And then God supplied everything? Oh, and from a Christian perspective, don't you look at your life and you go, you know what? All this is a gift. <laughs> Every bit of it. Every lungful of air. Everything's a gift. Isn't that the right perspective? Well, that's supposed to be our heart attitude. God gave them 100% of what they had, and nothing has changed today. And so you are to have an obedient and constant eye out uh, to be generous to those who are in need. And might I add, um, uh, it is a very common and wonderful behavior in the church, I'm, I'm privileged to say. I'm privileged to say that I've seen helps and helps and helps and helps in the flock it's like, it's normal Christian behavior. I'm not up here going, why won't you people ever give? Why won't you people ever blah, blah, blah? Not that at all. I'm happy to say it, it's, it's a regular observed behavior. Um, and, if, and if that's not you, then you're the abnormal one. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see in, in the church. All right, our last point, I don't know why I'm grabbing that. Our last point, um, and, and I'm gonna, tuck a little bit more into this, into the, into the benediction next week too, okay? So we won't spend as much time on 18 and 19, but look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Uh, so is that talking about the Obama? No. It's um, talking about your spiritual guardians. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. It's talking about church leadership. Uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a big statement, ladies and gentlemen. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Um, you know, one of the things I've worried about over many, many years is exactly what people think they're doing when they join a church. I think they kind of come and they go, well, I like it here and it's pretty nice and they got a good kids program and a pretty cool thing. And we'll, okay, let's walk the aisle. And they walk down front. Every time I see somebody come down with a card, I, I wonder if they're grasping. And listen, we have a great new members class. I'm not knocking it at all, but... But I'm just speaking not just our church, but the church at large. When somebody walks down that aisle and they, they join a church, I wonder if they're thinking, I am putting myself under the authority of the leadership of this church. If it's an elder-run church, I'm putting myself under the authority of the elders. If it's not an elder-run church, or if it is an elder-run church, I'm putting myself under the authority of the pastors who are caretakers of my souls, and they're going to have to give an account to God. Do people think that way? Do you? You know that, that you're under authority, that, that uh, somebody, somebody cares about your life, and if you cheat on your wife or you do dumb things, we're going to come and get you. 
And we're going to try to say things to you, and we're going to try to correct you, and we're going to try to bring an elder, and we're going to try to help you, even when it's hard. Do you know that? Um, this also, keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Um, you know, I got a, I got a boss. Uh, he's over there, Brent. And I got another boss. He's in the other room, Dr. Young. Oh, and I got another boss. They're the elders. So I got, there's lots of bosses. But you know what? I got a super-duper big boss. Uh, he's Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And so as I'm trying to make things happen here in the church and, and run some things and tell people what to do about this and that, um, it's not that I'm going, oh, I must be listened to. I think I'm fantastic. I have a will. I will have it executed. I'm thinking, I got a big boss, and I'm going to have to give an account. Lord, did I manage my time well? Did I manage your people well? Did I manage your resources well? Was I a good steward of the things that you put in my path? Um, I have to give an account. Doesn't that change? I mean, the next time you're annoyed with your, one of your pastors, um, the next time you're annoyed with uh, the direction of the church or what the color they painted something, um, remember, it, this is not some pleasure cruise. This is uh, trying, to, trying to do well for the Savior and, and imperfectly, admittedly. But um, submit to your leaders, obey your, obey your leaders, submit to your elders. They have to give an account. Uh, and it goes on to say, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. You know, I just met with the... Um, Every, every summer, um, a bunch of the pastors meet with the summer interns. And it's really kind of a cool thing. I've done it for years. So you pick a Wednesday sometime in the summer, and sometimes there's five of them. Sometimes there's nine of them. I don't know. They just all, a bunch of them show up, and they ask you all these questions about your ministry and this and what's the, what, you know, just anything that pops in their mind. They've got a list, too. And one of the things they always ask is, what's the hardest thing? What's the hardest thing about being in it? You know, and it's like, you know what? I would say that uh, I always answer something like the petty. The petty is always the hardest. I've heard Dr. Young say that. I stole it from him. He's right. The petty stuff. Um, groaning. Groaning's hard. Uh, groaning's hard. Um, so that, that's your application. God has called servants to serve the flock, and God doesn't expect that you'll make the experience miserable. Uh, God expects that you will pray for them. We'll talk about that more next week, that you'll pray for them, um, that you'll help them, that you'll support them as, as they try to lead you. Guess what they need? Help. They need support. Uh, they need their arms held up by the, the flock that they're trying to serve. It's just a really a beautiful picture. And you know how leadership changes all the time too. Somebody's leading here, somebody's leading here. There's all these different layers. We submit to one another as we submit to Christ. Just a beautiful picture of the way the church is supposed to operate. All right, last thing. Back to our main idea. The main idea is this. <clears throat> the reason for living is the sacrificial praising of God. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, serving God means what? What does it mean to serve God? I'm going to serve God. Lord, I want to serve you. What does it mean? You know what it means primarily? Serving his people. That's what it means primarily. Lord, I just want to serve you. Okay, that sounds great, but define it. Write down, what does it mean? I'm serving you. I'm serving you, Lord. What does it mean? Serving his people. That's what it means. And uh, those are direct reflections of the state of your heart. The way you serve his people, the way you communicate to his people, 
the content, the delivery, what you own and how you share it, how you follow and how quickly you are to yield. Those are all barometers as to the state of your heart, uh, direct reflections of your spiritual health. And they are, ladies and gentlemen, what a sacrifice of praise looks like. More about that next week as we close our entire study. Thanks, everybody. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you love us and um, that you have taken the unlikely and made them uh, highly lovely to your own self. Um, Father, uh, to be with your people is such a joy. To grow up and to grow old with uh, a flock is a beautiful thing. To have to get in the messy aspects of love and love when it's hard and love when it's painful and um, love when it's confusing. Lord, if you've called us to a place, then you've called us to a place. We pray that you'll pour out the grace to live within those plans. Um, Father, we want um, the fruit of our lips to be evident to a watching world and to each other and pleasing to you. So would you forge that in our lives as we move ahead this week? And um, help us next week, Lord, as we close this book. Might, um, might uh, reflections of these wonderful things be impressed upon us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.